Hello and welcome to Getting Goosebumps, the weekly podcast exploring the business of storytelling, where I interview many of the world's greatest marketers and storytellers to share their insights and ideas of how to put emotion into marketing. Hello and welcome to another episode of Getting Goosebumps. I'm your host Brian Adams and this week I had the chance to learn some fantastic tips from athletics coaching legend and motivational business speaker Frank Dick OBE. From 1979 to 1994, Frank led the British athletics team into its golden era with Olympic gold medalists such as Daley Thompson, Steve Abett and Sebastian Coe as the British Athletics Federation's Director of Coaching. Now, in this series, I've already spoken to lots of marketers who speak about storytelling from the context of generating new business. But in this episode, Frank gives us his insights into how to tell a story to resonate, to get a reaction and inspire a team trying to reach their peak performance. Not only does Frank tell great stories, but he really knows how to do it under pressure, having worked with so many great athletes. He talks about getting under people's skin and how vital it is to get them to buy in emotionally to what you're saying. As Frank puts it brilliantly in this episode, you've got to be able to teach and you've got to be able to sell and selling will always appeal to the emotions more than to intellect. Now, after a great career in coaching, Frank spent the last 25 years passing on his expertise with public speaking and working with businesses to help them get the most out of what he likes to call edutainment. So to find out what that means and how to use it in your business, you're going to have to listen to this episode. Let's get started. Well, hello and welcome everybody. Today, I'm joined by an official UK sporting legend, Frank Dick, OBE. Hello, sir. How are you doing? Pretty good, Brian. How are you? I'm, I'm very good. Really pleased and excited to be uh, talking to you today, Frank, uh, because I think you can teach us a great deal about communication, motivation, and inspiring people using emotion and, and storytelling. Um, I think it's fair to say that it's an essential tool in your trade. Would you agree? Yeah, I think most coaches actually live off uh, anecdote, uh, probably understanding that um, it's, it's one thing persuading somebody uh, mentally uh, of a particular argument, um, or a particular point. It's quite another thing to have them buy in emotionally. And if you can't get under the skin of the emotional uh, side of things, you'll not actually get buy-in. I mean, I've, of, I've often thought that probably the two skills that um, maybe coaches don't w- wouldn't all agree on that they must have. But I think you've got to be able to teach and you've got to be able to sell. And selling always will appeal to the the emotions more than to uh, the intellect. Absolutely, um, and, and you know, you've been telling stories to great athletes and uh, sports people for, for for years, and I guess your motivation and coaching techniques—they've been responsible for world records and personal bests, and you've done that. You've done that for for decades. You know, you've you've crafted an art of getting the best out of people. So, let's start with an easy one, Frank. What what is your secret? Well, I, I think again, it's. You've got to be looking for metaphor and simile in life. I mean, it's how, I mean, a lot of religions were, were founded on that, you know, to, to, to look for uh, the, the sense of parable uh, and, and find another meaning out of a, 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 a sort of a, a realistic story. So you, 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 you're, you're trying to 
pass messages on, I say by metaphor or by simile, uh, to get people to try, try and identify with something. I always remember uh, as an athlete I worked with years ago, Maranimo, who went on to be a professor at um, Loughborough University. She got into the, uh, eventually competing in the Olympic Games at one point, although a lot of people thought she would never do that. And she was struggling for quite a while on trying to almost have the a kinesthesis um, uh, through language to, to understand a word that would help her p- prepare for the long jump properly. And she that she suddenly related it to um, when she was on a horse, the gather before the jump. And she began to think of the word gather. And it meant so much more to her because it appealed through to a, 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 almost a, a, an experience that she could feel herself. Um, that was going to that, that gonna crack the situation. So I, I, I think it's, oh, it's, about, it's, it's about a language that will just switch the light on where other words and numbers and things just won't. Yeah, but I think making the penny drop is, is definitely one thing, you know, and I, I think there's probably many people we'd identify as being able to effectively communicate but you inspire people, Frank. So what's the difference between communicating very effectively and inspiring people? Well, I don't think you can do the latter without the former. Yeah. I think you need to have the two things um, running together. Um, I mean, there's, and sometimes you're actually inspired yourself by something and then you can use that to leverage. So, for example, <clears throat> coming back from 1988 from the Olympic Games, I sat beside a, a young lad called Dalton Grant, who I'd been coaching. And uh, you might not know, know this, but a- after a major games, the chief coaches in a, a particular sport usually get together. They'll, they'll, they'll skip the last night party, as it were, mm-hmm. and um, go out for a beer to, to, together. And in track and field, I used to meet meet up with another half dozen uh, head coaches from other countries, and we used to talk through um, what we would think it would take to get medals next time round. So what, what would a gold medal be worth? So and it's actually easier in a quantifiable sport like athletics because it's measurable. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So, um, I was looking at the statistics, sat beside Dalton, and he said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm, uh, and I explained the whole thing to him. He says, well, what's the story for high jump? Because that was his event. And um, I said, oh, it's actually, we're, we're looking at somewhere around about two, two meters 40. Now, in saying that, I knew that Dalton's best at that point was two meters 31. Okay. And uh, he looked at me and says, that's great. I said, why is that? He says, because it's only two centimeters a year. And an extra one for the Olympics. <laughs> so I can I can I can take that very simple story and put that to business uh, to business people people in business to try to have them understand that make sure you see the uh, the pieces that will lead you to where you can get to. It's all very well looking at the big goal at the end, but that can actually be frightening. Absolutely. I think you can have the sense of the goal and the sense of the image, but you should always build in uh, something that makes people feel that they can achieve that. If it's too big, they won't take the mountain on. Yeah, I mean, I've seen um, Steve Smith talk about his um, high jump 
and mm. and it's still it's still unbelievable actually because on stage he'll stand there and he'll hold his hand up and say you know I jumped over something slightly higher than this and he gets the same reaction I'm sure every time it just seems insurmountable. Um, in terms of when you when you start out, you know you've got four years ahead of you and you've got um, athletes that really have got a long journey uh, ahead of them. How do you um, start to prepare them mentally? Have you got a story in your back pocket you always pull out that never lets you down? Or is every situation different? No, I think they're different. And you're, 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 that, that, that's the thing. You, you always use a language um, that the other person will understand. And that language um, may change, and it may not be your language, but if you, this, I suppose, comes back to the old story. You'd better understand the person you're trying to coach and develop. Yeah. Yeah. Know, know them as people. They're not not bits of machinery, or they're not they're, they're not just building. They're not inanimate. They're, they're thinking, uh, in, involving people. They, they will want to engage uh, with what you're saying, but you'll have to get the language right. And one one of the things I actually say more often to coaches than to, to athletes, but the athletes have to understand this too, is that um, uh, coaches don't plan forwards; they plan backwards. If this is where you, if this is what you must achieve, in I don't know, looking ahead now in, in Tokyo in two thousand and twenty, where must you, and, and that will be something like August or September, where must you have got to by June or, or July of that year, in order for the last step to be possible, and then the step before that, then the step before that, until you come all the way back to here. And then everything you're doing is is properly aligned with where you're trying to get to. It's wrong to try to say, well, let's just take an incremental bit now. Let's take a look. Just be a bit better now than you were yesterday. That's nice. It's too simplistic that. You've got to relate it to the bigger picture of where they're trying to get to. And I suppose uh, kind of related to that and talking about big pictures is I sometimes try to uh, how people understand they belong to something bigger than themselves, uh, and, and they must they must pick that up. So, for, so for example, uh, it's sometimes worth saying, "What do you live for?" And the, uh, the the coach or the athlete or even a federation will just open their eyes and say, well, what, what, "What do you mean?" Well, look in the, in the movie, "The Devil Wears Prada," uh, Andy's ripped up by her boss Miranda, and Miranda sort of sends her out with a tail between her legs. She's pretty upset. She goes to see her pal, Nigel. Now, you've got to understand that she belongs to a big fashion magazine. I guess the movie was modeled on Vogue or something like that. Uh-huh. And the, the idea of taking this job really was to get some money, to get to, you know, pay her rent, get her, have, have, have a bit of fun. And she goes to see Nigel and complains. And Nigel says, you know, I know a lot of people who would die to work here. You only deign to work here. And what he was trying to embed is there must be a deeper sense of purpose in what you're doing. It's not just about you going out into an arena and jumping higher or running faster. You're doing it for a bigger purpose. And so then you take on board something like uh, George uh, George Patton's address to his troops when he said, uh, it's not your job to die for your country. It's your job to live for your country and make the other guy die for his. <laughs> <laughs> and if you if, if you put these two things together, and then you go to the Harvard Business Review, uh, October two thousand and thirteen, Alex Ferguson was inter- interviewed, 
uh, by um, I, I think a very bright uh, young lady who put this to put the, the questionnaire together and basically it was about um, well, how on earth have you had such sustainable excellence over this long period of time, 25 years of your life, cup after cup, trophy after trophy, and so on. And he's um, opening, there are 10 different responses he gives, but the first one is, is the club. It's about the club being the thing that you compete for. I mean, you can win, a, your team can win this week, but it can lose next week. But it's part of a bigger game. And, of course, what that allowed him to do, and I guess a few other uh, legendary coaches out there, was to make sure that you, had, you were not only looking at today's goals, but you were preparing for the dream of tomorrow at the same time. You have to be able to deal with both. And so you, 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 you suddenly get this feeling of you, you live to put your flag, to put your badge, to put your brand at the top of the flagpole. That's what you're there for. And everything you do must relate to that. That's the start of making sure that people actually see themselves as, uh, of course, you're, 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 you're a brick in the wall, you could argue, but you better understand what the wall is, otherwise you're not going to be very valuable. Yeah, absolutely. And something... Something that seems to be a running theme in, in a lot of your stories, and I've you know I've, I've seen you talk, and I've you know I've, I've read things that you've written. It does seem to point to a higher purpose and higher values. Do you think that's when people are trying to inspire? Do you think do you think people don't set the bar high enough in terms of that big vision, and they talk about values that just aren't sort of high enough? Yeah, you're you're that's your absolute the button, Brian. I mean, one of the one of the troubles about um, talking about values as we do in business and so on. And you, you, you could have very expensive exercises trying to create them, mm. is that um, they're, they're not words. They're, they're, they're things you must live. They, they must, you must live your values. And you must be vaulting for, as, as you say, it, it, setting the dream big, but also having the values that go with that. I mean, Achieving your goals and achieving high performance is not the real test in life. It's doing so, but exercising life's highest values at the same time. Uh, you know, Lombardi's line was, the, uh, the purpose of going into the arena is to win fairly, squarely, decently, by the rules, but to win. Now, that may not always come round in a result, but it, because you're not always in total control of results. But you are in total control of performance, and it's focusing on that. And, and I think that maybe is what, I don't know if it's apocryphal or not, but um, uh, Michelangelo is credited with the line, um, the problem in life is not aiming too high and falling short, it's aiming too low and hitting the target. <laughs> Brilliant. So um, it's... It's really important that you truly believe in what you're saying, I guess, to be an effective communicator and have an emotional um, connection with, with your audience. What's your advice to people listening to this, whether they're business leaders or marketers or you know, people of all walks of life, who, who don't 100% believe in it? Not that they're working for a cause that they don't agree with, but just perhaps don't quite get the full context of what they're doing, yet they've got a job to do. How, how, what's your advice there to be able to still put your heart and soul into to what you're doing? 
Well, that's, that's another good another good point because I think sometimes um, an, an employer, owner, whatever, uh, can get it into the the heads that look. I, I just want you to um, come in here and we'll give you the tools of the trade. Get on with the job. Now, mm-hmm. of course, having get, knowing you, you, you better get your roles and responsibilities light right because it's been my my very painful experience in life that the real issue out there is. Uh, not having the right people doing the right job. So you'd better develop your people properly for these roles and responsibilities. However, as a coach, uh, when you're working with people in sport, um, I believe, uh, you know, with every grain of my body, that our, our function is not just to develop people for sport, but through that experience for a better life. We can use sport itself as a fantastic metaphor to learn the rules, to understand things, to, to live life's values. But do we have a problem with that? Well, slightly. You'd better make sure that sport has its values right. And, I mean, we're going through in, in, in our lifetime, Brian, really quite a devastating set of body blows. First of all, what was happening in the world of, of FIFA earlier this year uh, when we were reading, reading these dreadful stories about the possibility or the accusations or and allegations of corruption, yeah. then elsewhere, I mean, it's inescapable that doping is a problem in sport. Of course, we're fighting it through WADA and that kind of stuff, uh-huh. but it is there. And, uh, and here we have a problem. What do you think the average... A person looking at sport at the moment sees in sport. Do they see it as pure and and uh, this this idea of uh, fairly squarely decently by the rules? And we have a problem in this. We if 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 you espouse values, you'd better live them. And that comes back to your previous point. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it also. Um Something that you you talk passionately about is um, mountain people and, and valley people, um, and all of that sort of adversity and the, the sort of the, the negative aspect you're just talking about there. Um, I guess all you can do is control and deal with what's in front of you. Um, is it is it the leaders of sport and business and whatever to just focus on the task at hand and try and develop uh, what you would call mountain people? And does does that does that Solve the problem? Does that make everything else fall well, in line? I think it might help, but I think if I, if I can just, I don't know if you, you, you've got time to sort of go through the mountain and valley thing. But oh, please do, please do tell that story. It, it, it actually goes back to 1989. Um, we were in the European Cup competition. And we were at home at Gateshead, and um, in, in these days, just to explain the European Cup, there's, there's, a, there's a men's and a women's. They're not related, by the way, because you can have different countries in each. Um, but if we can concentrate on the men for a moment, there are, there are 20 disciplines, and there are in, in each discipline, 100 meters, shot put, and so on, you can have uh, one representative from each country. Now, um, that means you have one shot to get in, in a particular discipline, but you can have, you, you're, you're in the arena 20 times. You get eight points if you're first, one if you're last. So the maximum number of points out there is 160. There's 160 points to be won in the marketplace, and you've got 20 opportunities to get them. Okay. So 
just as you would do in your job and the, you, you, our colleagues leading business would do in theirs, you look at the numbers for the future and, and what people are worth on paper, your, your company versus another company, your players versus another players. And what I concluded doing the sums um, was that uh, we were going to be, um, I think it was 14 points short of the um, the guys who were the favourites to win, which were always in these days the Soviet Union, uh, or the, the bigger name for this, this collective that grew from Russia, and the German Democratic Republic, formerly East Germany. And I, I wondered, how do I get over to to, to my uh, kids um, that between today and tomorrow uh, they would have the opportunity to put the flag at the top of the flagpole or to leave it on the floor. And so I talked to them like this. I said, between today and tomorrow, you've got a 14-point mountain to climb. You've got, uh, the, the, it's, it's a mountain because it's, it's, it, it, it's, it's tough. It's 14 points because that's the difference between what you're worth on paper and what the opposition is worth on paper. But what that means is that if you're worth one point as a beginner in the team and you can turn that to two, you give me just as big a step up this mountain as if you're worth uh, five points and can, don't, can turn it to six. Yeah, that's yeah. great. And if you're Linford Christie or Colin Jackson, I expect you to give me eight. Don't give me seven. <laughs> yeah. And the, it, it, it had, it had a, an incredible effect on them because I, they all knew my attitude that you're either a mountain person or a valley person. You're, you're either content just to, just, just to survive in life or to take the risk of winning, to climb higher mountains than you've gone before. So they knew this picture. And the extraordinary thing was that over the, over the two days, um, one point people were delivering two or even three. And by the time it got to the end of the two days, they had the trophy. And when I went into the room afterwards uh, to address them, everybody went quiet. And I said, it's been drawn to my attention that we only won this trophy um, by four and a half points. I'd like to know who's to blame. <laughs> and they all put their hands up, said, they were my points, Frankie. And that's what you've got to get into the, in, into the business, that we're not all at the same level, but we can all improve our performance. Wow, that's, that's a great story. It really does show... Um a real team working working together, something that I think a lot of team leaders really aspire to. Um, and from just just trying to draw parallels to sort of business and marketing and that kind of stuff. I mean, I've, I've talked to other great communicators about uh, the difference between a network and a community. And I would, in the context of this conversation, I would say um, if your network turns into a community you're inspiring valley people you know so it's and a lot of the time is it's you only find out how much of your network is a community when something goes wrong or there's a cry for help and, and you need to pull ranks and um you know and rely on somebody to to step up what what advice would you give to the audience to um assess your network and your community and start to convince valley people to take the attitude of being uh, a mountain person, or or is it not possible? You've just got to, you, you've only got to work with with mountain people. What, what's what's your thought? 
No, I, 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 we've got to agree. I hope that from the beginning that we can that people can change. I mean, yep. So we're, we're adaptable and we're we're creative. Yep. Uh, we can we can change. Um, I, I think it's it's one thing, sort of collecting bunches of names, people's business cards, creating a sense of network, but you've got to make sure that you understand that within the concept of network. It's not like a two-dimensional thing. I mean, for example, in, I sometimes try to explain um, the whole notion of, of, of how a team connects uh, like, like this. I remember Ian, I was doing a, a talk in um, Madrid at one point, and Johan Cruyff uh, was uh, on the platform as well. And he was talking about total football, and I, I really didn't get it. Uh, and... Afterwards, he says, it ever occurred to you, Frank, that we pass a ball in our game? He says, yeah, I'm not stupid. He says, well, have you ever thought the act of passing a ball? He says, of course, I've watched these things. He says, no, I'm not sure if you do. You see, when you, when you give a ball, ball to somebody, somebody um, you've got to know the ball that that person wants to receive, the pass that they like to have. If they don't, do it, don't like the ball down the left-hand side and you put it down there, um, uh, you're asking them to make up for your stupidity. You've, you've got to understand the roles of the people around you. And it's kind of like Ian McGeekin's uh, comment when he said, um, when, you, when you pass the ball, you don't give away responsibility. Um, you accept it, the right person at the right moment. Now, just accept that. If, if we go one step beyond that, everyone that you pass the ball to in life that you communicate with, that you provide a service to and a product to, every one of these people is going to do the same thing to somebody else. So if you see that person as a customer, you've got to think of what is the ball that the customer's customer wants? Because if you understand that, then that customer hopefully can coach you in how to pass the right ball to the customer. So it's like a triangle that's going on all the time. And what I'm trying to say here, Brian, is you've got to join up the dots. There's no, it's not a two-dimensional thing, a network. It's at least a three-dimensional thing. And we've got to work out how do we draw all of these people into the equation. Absolutely. And, um, and I guess what you're saying is it's not enough to, um, to empathize and understand. You've got to take action on it as well to prove it. Right, absolutely. And when you we're talking here and having a conversation about uh, about the, the storytelling and so on, but if you think about your journey through life, to go start off being uh, a beginner coach, if you like, and go go on through ultimately uh, to be um, a, a, a top coach, or or start off uh, just simply being an employee and working your way through and work one thing one day becoming a senior leader. This is a journey, and, and it's a journey of learning. Now, there are some things in life you can be taught. There are other things in life you can only learn. You can be taught the evidence-based stuff in making your decisions, the science, the tools of the trade, the stuff you learn when you come through the door. And at the start of your journey, that's really important stuff. You're working on precedent, other people's good practice, and so on. But as you go through life, the art of what you must, uh, you, 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 must, you, you must use in making judgment calls in decisions, 
that's something that you only learn through life experience and an experience of doing the work if you like and what I'm trying to say there is that experience then or 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 or, or uh, experience that you create for somebody to go into and learn from is really in- important. But the problem is, as Vernon Law once said, uh, experience is the toughest of all teachers because she gives you the test first and the lesson second. <laughs> what we've got to be a bit cl- smarter and smarter at, whether it's building networks, communities, whether it's be- being a, a, a mighty organization, is we'd better be prepared to allow people to have the experience of stepping beyond the edge of things that they've done before so that they learn the experience from the experience itself. Now, you might think that's, well, that's very obvious, Frank, but I've, I've seen uh, people getting it wrong. I mean, I remember having a conversation with Tony Minicello when he came back from uh, Daegu uh, the year before the Olympic Games. And there'd been a bit of a disappointment out there because uh, Jess had a few problems with the javelin. And she'd finished second. Um, and Tony and I had a conversation afterwards. And he says, what do you think? I said, well, how on earth can you argue against four lifetime bests, Tony? I mean, you, and, and I really but I think Tony's one of the finest coaches on the planet. I knew him when he was a young boy and daily was established. He, he was coming through at that point. And, but he, and he's such a good coach. And I said, he said, so what did, is there a but? I said, well, yeah. When she had problems with the javelin, what did she do? Well, she came across to see us at the track site. And said, what did you and Mick, Mick Hill do? Well, we, 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 we told her what to do. She said, that's what you did wrong. I said, there comes a point in life when you, the only way somebody will learn the lesson is by learning the lesson, not by being given an answer from outside. And, 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 and Tony's great, and I know he applies this all the time. And but I think it's an important anecdote, if you like, because we're coming back to the start of all of this. It's an important story for people to understand. Um, I've been through it myself. I've, I've coached an, an athlete to a, a final in 100 meters when I'd never coached an athlete to go from semi-final to final in 100 meters before. And the athlete was pretty quick, turned on me, said, uh, you're not saying much now, coach. <laughs> Because I didn't know what to say. And what I'm saying is that we all should do that. I'm not asking, asking us to get other people. We, you and I should both do that. Yep, yep. Step beyond the edge of risk so that you can get that, that piece of experience so you're, you're obliged to make judgments and decisions under pressure. Uh, absolutely. And, and once, you've, once you have then exper- had the benefit of that experience, only then can you process it, make sense of it yourself, and then tell... Um, an authentic story that really resonates because, well, you can paint that picture um, so much better, can't you? Because you've you've absolutely you've, you've lived and breathed it and learned from it yourself. And I guess um, part of part of your job, Frank, is is being able to articulate that and inspire others through through the um, experiences you've had. Now, um, my uh, my partner uh, Google Dave, as we lovingly call him in the in the agency, he recalls a story you told. It was it was about Formula One, and it was uh, I think it was Mika Hakkinen, and he had to beat the world record in order uh, for changing the tires and all the rest of it in order to to um, to win the race and to inspire that particular team. That must have been one hell of a team talk, and it must have been a. Um, 
a talk that was um, quite fluid and in the spare of the moment and in the heat of the, the, the race, I guess. Um, can, you, can you tell us that story and try and break down exactly what happened there um, and, and why it was such a success? Bring it more up to date. Okay. Uh, and and, and th- this, is, this is where I think um, you, you crack the whole thing. You must start off by understanding what is controllable and control it, right? That can change from week to week, but you must never let go of the fact that there are things in life that we must be, they're controllable, and we must be in control of these things. Once you've got that in place, there are two areas that you must examine. One I call error elimination, and the other one is, well, as David Brailsford would say, marginal gains. The error elimination comes to, comes to Ferrari, and uh, uh, Ross Braun came at, uh, was pretty obsessive about eliminating errors so that the, the pit crew could get through, could, could get a, a car coming in and out fast. When he started off, it was quite normal for um, the, 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 the car, car to take oh, eight, nine seconds. And by getting people to change their body shape, where they were standing and so on, they could go through this incredible, I mean, if you think of the number of things that are achieved, the car is jacked up, uh, the nuts are taken off all four wheels, all four wheels come off, new wheels go on, the nuts go back on again, the car is refueled, the surface of the car is cleaned, the, the visor that the, uh, uh, has got something like cling film in front of it is pulled off, the strap is checked, the computer's checked. All, all at that point, or eight to nine seconds, he got it down to six seconds. Now, Incredible. then they stopped refueling. And, and uh, Red Bull has got it down to three seconds. And, and I know you won't believe the statistic, but the fastest it's ever been done is 1.92 seconds. Oh, my God, you're right. That's incredible. And with, with that, now, understand that that is with eliminating these things that are causing us problems. The other, the, uh, the marginal gains things, a young Scottish swimmer wanted to get into the Great Britain Olympic team in 2012, and he was looking for all sorts of margins. And, of course, uh, cycling's got this incredible reputation now and quite justifiably so. Uh, Dave Brailsford did a fantastic job with them, and there's a new generation coming through. Anyway, this young swimmer got in touch with one of the coaches, and uh, he said, what do you do? Is there anything uh, different that you do? Um, he said, well, we'll do lots of things. Well, tell me one thing, tell me one thing. Well, did you know we put vinegar on the spokes of the wheels? <laughs> I said, no, I didn't know that. What difference does that make? I said, almost nothing. So he went away and he thought about it, and this is a real stone in his shoe. About two weeks later, he picked up the phone, got back to the coach and said, I don't get it. Why would you do something that does nothing? He said, I didn't say that. Said almost nothing. When you add together all the almost nothings, you'll get something. <laughs> and what I do um, with uh, athletes and coaches now is then, when, I, when I'm talking to them about this, I put, give them a, a handout, but also put something on the screen. And it's got more than 50 to 60 areas where you can find an almost nothing, right? And I ask them to look at that constantly. Because if you put that together with the error elimination on top of your controllables, you will learn to have a mindset with that in place that is uh, 
that can turn change to your advantage. It looks at change as the normal and turns change and uncertainty to your advantage because you've got all these bits in place. And that's the stuff that companies like Ferrari, the, the, the British bobsleigh team, the cyclists, the oars people, every one of them now are looking at that with meticulous detail. Because the, 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 the difference between winning and losing at the very top end is minuscule. And it translates so well into, into business, obviously, Frank, doesn't it? You know, and it, you, you mentioned marginal gains. We use that um, in, our, in our business, looking for those marginal gains. Do you think that's what it comes down to? I mean, and, and even when you tell a story and it resonates, even now, Frank, do, do you analyze a story and a method of communicating with impact to a team, uh, whether it's sporting or, or otherwise, to look for those almost nothing improvements when you're communicating? Well, you, you, there, are, there, are, there are a few things that go on, really. For, for, first of all, you, 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 you've got to, when you're speaking to people, uh, as I've already said, you've got to know the language. You've got to know what appeals to them. But you 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 watch them. The first thing you you the, the first thing you do is you, you you look at them and you're you're seeing if they've got eye contact and they're watching you. Secondly, you listen to make sure that they laugh or cry at the the, the appropriate moments. And but there's another part of listening, and it's for the silence. And so when you when you're speaking to an audience, when you're speaking to um, uh, athletes and so on, you must intentionally leave a gap and you'll hear a silence that is resonant and you know you have them then you know you have them and you 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 have to be willing to play between appealing to people in terms of uh, logic or reason and facts and figures um and when to play on the emotions and you and and and, and, and I think hmm it, it sounds like acting and to a certain extent, it is. Um, you, you're you're trying to create emotional disturbance in someone to 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 take them out of a, a particular um, mental track onto, if if you like, the, the idea of dreaming and imagining and going forward. It, it, it's it, 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 I don't want it to. It, it's why I call it edutainment. It's. it's <laughs> It's education and it's entertainment at the same time. And you've got to be willing um, to leverage that. I mean, okay, I make jokes about my own name, of course. It's not much. As you've probably heard all these stories before. <laughs> um, I was, uh, and, and I use that because when, why do I use that at the beginning of any presentation with people? It's because... If you can laugh at yourself and you show you can, then you're through the door because nobody can take advantage of you at that point. Right? You're, 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 you're giving a serious message, but you can also take on board anything that people throw at you. And so I think that's, that, that's a key. And you, you never stop looking for other stories and other examples I mean that story about the the Scottish boy. That's oh, a couple of years, couple of three years old now. Um, but there are other ones that go back twenty, thirty, forty years. Yeah, I'm sure, absolutely. So, 
Frank, I mean, this this podcast is called Getting Goosebumps, okay? So I think to sort of, um, as, a, as a finale, I've got to ask you, what's, what is the... Um, what is the sort of defining moment when you think of of your career and everything you've witnessed? You know, what what springs to mind? The, you know, what is that goosebump moment that um, that you recall that that really sort of resonates with you that that stays with you? Oh, well, some sometimes. Um, I mean, there, there there are a lot a lot of movies do that to me. I have to say, and or or uh, bits of poetry that. That, that suddenly make you realize that you, again you're part of something bigger, and there's an, almost a sense of uh, vulnerability that you you bring on yourself. And but if if we want to sort of give one a particular moment now, and I said I'm very I'm, I've, got, I've, I've had a fantastic life with lots and lots of moments like this, but one one that I'll always remember is that at, at the end of that. European Cup competition, we it's all over, and a lot of people will remember that I, I almost um, because of, there were, were problems of relocating um, Athletics head office, um, I almost uh, was thrown out the door because I wasn't going to move my my house uh, and my family, and so I'd fallen out with the chairman at that time, but I'd, I walked out of the arena. We'd now won. And the chairman was in a car that um, had uh, that had been brought for him, and I, I wanted to walk up because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of precious about this. Is, is that once the once the battle's over, win, lose, or draw, I want my own space, even if it's just for a few minutes, so that I can understand what's happening and understand what's happened and what I'm going to do with this. And I wanted to walk up from Gateshead to the Five Bridges Hotel. Um, and the, the chairman wound the window and I said, Frank, Frank, come into the car. And I thought, my memory is still raw, of course, from what had happened in the winter. And, and I said, uh, no, thanks. Uh, I, 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 need, I need my own space here. And as I, as I walked up that road, I, I, I was getting, it was just the start of uh, mobile phones and things. And I, I think almost every 10 steps, there were phone calls coming through from clubs, even little clubs around the UK, because we'd never won something that was a team competition before. We'd never been in that territory. We were all in our silos, you know, little clubs and so on. And what people were phoning up to say was, you know, thank you. We are important. We are important. And I thought, well, you're all important. I mean, everybody's important in life. I mean, there's a, uh, and, and that, that, even sitting now and, and, and talking to you about this, that's got the, the hair up on the back of my, my neck. And what I do now to, uh, to, to coaches and to people that I speak to on occasions like this is I like to finish up this way. Has it ever occurred to you that in all of time, there's only going to be one of you. There's not another one out there, not in a million, million years. It doesn't, I don't care if you've got a twin. It doesn't matter. You are unique. And what that means is that what you bring to this world, to your families, to your business, no one else can do that. 
I don't care if they wear the same number on their shirt. They don't do that. And if you don't bring that to the world, the world will be a lesser place. Well, Frank, I've got to say, I find your stories captivating. And, you know, this isn't this hasn't been a, a conversation. It's I feel I feel like it's been a bit of a, um, um, a life coaching session, to be honest, Frank. And I'm sure the people listening would would agree. Um, I, can't, I can't thank you enough for your time today. I'm, I'm so appreciative. Um, that's that's been really insightful, um, and I, I really I really do appreciate your time. Is there is there, is there anything that you would like to um, draw our attention? Uh, our audience's attention to or, or leave us with? I'd like to give you the final word. Well, not really, no. I, I mean, some people think about how we develop other people. And there's a great picture of that I'd like to have in your, you, you, you to have in your mind. There's a fantastic little book that has certainly helped shape my life called The Prophet by Khalil Gibran. And it's about, about a guy leaving uh, a, a land and people realize they're never going to get a chance to ask him questions. So they're asking him all sorts of questions about love, hate, joy, sorrow, and so on. And one of the questions is, um, what of parents and their children? And he says, and I'm paraphrasing now, the parent is to the bow as the child is to the arrow. And it's a fantastic picture to have as a leader, as a manager, as a parent, as a coach, as a teacher, Whenever you choose to develop or influence people, you give them direction and you give them power. But the idea is to let them go. And that's why uh, I, I try to sum up my philosophy of coaching very simply as this. It's our job to take people from who they are to who they're capable of becoming. And to do that, the end product is letting them go. Wow, fantastic. That's, that's a perfect place to end, and a perfect place for me to let you go, Frank. Thanks thanks so much for your time. My pleasure. Take care. So that's it for another week. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. If you did, please feel free to subscribe or even check out our Getting Goosebumps marketing book available in Amazon. If you have any specific questions, you can also tweet us using the hashtag AskPH. I'd be delighted to answer your questions. Until next week, goodbye.